famous people, they're under expectations. They've all felt the weight of that, but so have we. It's hard to escape expectations, whether it's from our parents, whether they're with us or not anymore, or from our kids, our coworkers, our coaches, people who we meet in public places. They all have expectations for us. It could be our boss or our subordinates, our friends. Sometimes we torment ourselves under the weight of those expectations. So it's not just external forces. Sometimes it's from within. Now, I'm Andrew Carpenter, and I'm going to add one more to the list of those who expect something from us. It shouldn't be a burden when we carry this load of expectation, this weight of expectation, together. But before we get too far into that, will you pray with me? Jesus, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be pleasing in your sight and helpful to those who hear them. I pray that we'll take what we learn and apply it in our lives, and that we'll be everything that you call us to be. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So you probably know where I'm going with this. God has expectations for us. Duh. We've reached the midpoint in this letter of Ephesians. And up until this point, we've heard a lot of kind of doctrinal things, and now we're going to get into some more practical things. And that's one of the reasons we know that is because of the way this is written, because we kind of finished up a section last week. It was like, amen, like, so be it, we're done. It's like, oh, but wait, there's more. And so we have this doctrinal side in the first half, and there's doctrine in the second half, but there's also some practicality in the front half and some practicality in the back half. So the first section, the first half, is kind of like what is possible because of who Christ is, what Christ does. And the second half is more of, well, if, that's, if th- there's a reason for this being possible, how do we make it possible? How do we do it in our day-to-day lives? How do we work these things out? So our writer, it, he begs, he exhort, exhorts, he implores us to do something. He says, in this first verse, he says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. The one you have been called, with all humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another in love. He's begging them. You know, last week we talked about the fact that he got down on his knees because this was an emotional thing for him, because he wanted something better for the Ephesians than they wanted for themselves. And that's why he's begging, imploring, lifting them up, encouraging them in this, is to live into this calling. And this calling is a calling into hope, a calling into something that's bigger than ourselves, something that's out there in the future. But as we live in it right now, we're able to draw other people along with us. And he gives evidence for this hope in the next little section, how we can show other people that we're living into this calling, how we are part of what God is doing in this world, is through a a few different things that are pretty simple but hard to do. 
And so let's look at part of what that scripture that Julio just read. There's four things in here that are counter-cultural. Humility, patience, gentleness, and forbearance. And forbearance is like, who even uses that word, right? But all four of those things aren't really held up in high esteem in our society. If you have watched any Olympics or any TV in the last couple of months, you might have seen a commercial for New Balance. And Jaden Smith is kind of one of the people that is voicing in the background. And it's, impatience is a virtue. Don't wait. And for us, as Christians, we're called to be patient. And so what do we do with the fact that that kind of goes against what Jesus, what Paul, what God wants for us? And so we have to do kind of the opposite of that, is learn how to be patient. We have to have humility. And back in the time when this is written... There was these things, this is the kind of a society of honor and shame. And so you are not to be a humble person. You were to be one that was honored and revered and thought of as, as highly awesome. And Jesus is like, that's not how I live. He says, I came, that you, I, I, I came not to serve, or not to, not to be served, but to serve. And so as we live in humility and patience and gentleness, we're taught to be assertive and aggressive and maybe a little bit hostile. And we kind of hold people up like that. that are, there, there's a reason they're number one, and that's because they're not exactly gentle with how they roll through life. And so all of these four things are things that we have to learn to do together because I can't do those things on my own. I could be arrogant and impatient, just ask my wife and my dog and my kids I can live those things out pretty easily. But when I'm with other people, they can kind of help me understand what it means to be a patient person. And they teach me even without teaching me. And we do that together. So we're not meant to do this on our own. And spirituality, our lives with God, are not meant to be lived in little silos. or They're not solo projects. What happens when you see somebody that's very impatient or ungentle, or doesn't, um, is, is arrogant, you know in your heart and your spirit that I don't necessarily want to be around that person. I don't want to be a part of their life on an ongoing basis. We all rise up into those things pretty often. We get there pretty often. But that's not how we want people to see us or be a part of their lives. And the only way we do that is not by simply sitting in a room, praying, meditating, thinking on God thoughts, those aren't the way for us to work with other people out in the world. And so we can do all those things. We should pray. We should spend time in God's word. We should meditate. We should figure out how to spend time in silence and meditation. But if that's all we do, then we haven't really lived into these virtues, these things that help us to be the kind of people that are calling others into unity. This unity, this oneness is how we fulfill God's calling in our life. We can't just grit our teeth and say, I'm going to be more humble today, or I'm going to be patient, right? All those things that are like, I just want to get good at this right now, that doesn't, that doesn't ring true, that doesn't work. We know that intuitively, but we still kind of keep coming back to it. But we, as we do these things together, as I learn to be patient with my dog who's 15 years old that, I'm just like, hurry up, be done with what you're doing so we can get on with our lives. If I can learn a little patience through that, if I can learn through 
interacting with you guys that things aren't going to go as fast as I want them to go. They might not go as fast as you want them to go. But if we are in this together, if we're both trying to follow Jesus in this, then we can learn to be patient with each other. I want to look at these next verses because it gives us a little bit of clue on how this really works within this body, within the body of Christ. It says there's one body. I highlighted it for you, so I made it pretty easy to see where we're going with this. It says there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all. So there's this unity that's built when we a simple way of doing these things. There's faith, there's baptism. Are throughout that, those passages, throughout those stories, whether it's Jesus telling a story that he's kind of making up as a parable, or whether it's a story that's simply about Jesus interacting with somebody who is crippled or blind or maybe a, somebody that's been shunned from society. All of those stories speak to this one story, to this one thing that helps us live into our calling. But we have to know those stories. We have to be a part of those stories. You have to make those stories a part of us. And so all of these elements and characters are listed in the story of Jesus. And as we live in those stories, as we, we begin to create the kind of unity that God wants for us, that he's calling us into, that he's expecting from us. Because he doesn't expect us to be the opposite of those virtues. And that's what the world sees oftentimes in a church sees arrogance, a lack of humility. It sees impatience. You know, we've got to do all of our stuff now, and we want everybody to be like us right now. And there's definitely not a lot of forbearance. I didn't talk about that much earlier because it's just kind of a, a weird word. It's like, what does that exactly mean? It, to me, from what I understand, it's, it's not just tolerance, but it's moving along with somebody. Helping somebody unconditionally with the love that you show them. Oftentimes we give love or we say we accept, but there's conditions on it. As long as they do this, this, and this, they can come be a part of what we're doing. And our forbearance, the, the way we treat one another, that trickles out into the world. If I can't treat you and you can't treat me with some love and compassion and some empathy, then we're not going to treat the person that cut us off in traffic kindly. We're going to treat that person at the checkout line that's working way too slow as we're trying to get our groceries and go on. We're going to not have forbearance for them if we can't have forbearance for each other. And then I don't want us to miss this, this next section, because it's kind of been a theme that's run throughout the whole passages, all the passages that we read so far. And it's a little weird and complicating because it just... Kind of strange. What is he talking about? Who's he talking about? But he says, there's this one, uh, in verse 
7. To each one of us again a gift of grace, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. Which is like, that sounds interesting. How do you do that? And then he gave gifts to his people. And that's a, that's a, a he brought in Psalm 68, but he changed it. And we find that pretty often with Paul. He's like, I read this somewhere, and I heard this as a boy, and I changed, but I'm going to make it a little bit different. I'm going to make it my own. Because in that original Psalm 68 passage, it says those gifts were given to the person who ascended and descended. And in our case, the one who ascended and descended, Jesus, gives us gifts. We're going to explore those gifts a little bit more next week. But I want you to take away from this is that this filling He who descended is the same who ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. And that's been a running theme throughout this book of Ephesians is that Jesus is present everywhere. And if Jesus is present everywhere, if he fills all things, then when we go out into the world that we know that Jesus is already there, we're not taking him out there. Our light's not just being the... Our light is out there already, but he's out there. He's working. He's moving in people's hearts. You might not even know it. And if somebody's got a grimace on their face, that doesn't mean that Jesus isn't working on that person right now, that Jesus isn't trying to reach out to that person. And you might be the one person that can flip a switch for that person. And so Jesus fills all those spaces, ascending and descending. And if we want to get further into where exactly did that mean? Then we can do that like over coffee afterwards. Fills all things. It's part of the story that we share together is that Jesus is present in our lives. He went all over the area of Israel, Palestine, to meet and introduce himself to the world. Very small part of the, of the country. Probably not a lot bigger than Berks County. I'm not sure how big... Berks County is, but he went into all those spaces, and now because he lives and resides with us, he's in all these spaces, all our little spaces, but he's outside of those spaces as well. Now here in a few weeks, we are going to take some time to discover some tools that will help us do this a little bit better, to help us live into these stories, how we can build unity because we are some of us are very familiar with these stories in the gospel. Some of us have been going to church our whole lives, and we go, I know that story, I know that story, I know that story. But as we re-examine these stories and kind of take them from what the Scripture says, and we talk about them, and we explore them together, and we go, well, what, do you, what happens here, and why did Jesus say that? Then that's when we start to take those stories into our lives. And so as we get into the fall, we're going to be doing a lot more of that together. And as we examine those stories, we see, oh, there's a reason why Jesus says to be patient, or why Paul said to be patient and humble and gentle. That's how Jesus was, forbearance. Every now and then he'd get upset with his disciples and be like, you guys just don't get it. But he kept coming back to them with this patient and loving, kind goodness. And as we learn these stories and we take these things into our lives, then we'll be a lot more like Christ, not just for our own personal gain, but so we can share that love of Christ with others. Because when we do that, when we share those stories, we can reimagine how they impact our lives, our church, and our community. 
And it helps us recalibrate, recalibrate our expectations and better understand God's call. You know, we all feel the weight of expectations. And I don't want you to walk away today going, oh, I've got to do some more stuff. I've got to be more humble. That's the last thing I want you to think as we leave. The expectation is that we live and we can flourish under a God who patiently loves us, who is graciously waiting for us to be everything that we can be. You know, elite athletes or rock stars or politicians, teachers, nurses, engineers, drivers, all have expectations placed upon them. But the one whose expectation we can flourish under is under our gracious, loving God's expectation. We can set aside some of those other expectations. That doesn't mean we don't do our jobs. We, don't, we quit parenting. We quit grandparenting or being a, a good kid. But it means that the flourishing happens when we look to God and what God's expectation for us is. And my hope is for you to join us, join Koinos, as we learn to thrive under that expectation. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that you call us, not simply as individuals, but as a collective group of people who, um, who you dwell with and in. I just pray that we would be the type of people you're calling us to be and that the love that you infuse in us will flow out of us. It's in your name I pray. Amen.